0: Howdy folks and welcome to a green way forward. I'm your host, David Cobb, coming at you from Eureka, California. On the line, we have Michael O'Neill from Syracuse, New York. Howdy, Michael. Hey, David. And through the miracle of technology, we also have Gloria Matera, co-chair of the Green Party of the United States from Brooklyn, New York. Howdy, Gloria. Hi, David. Hi, Michael. So, of course, for those of you who are frequent viewers slash listeners of A Greenway Forward, you know that this is the time that we bring Gloria Matera on once a month to address your questions and comments directly to one of the co-chairs of the Green Party of the United States. So if you have any comments or questions and you're watching live on Facebook, drop those questions or comments into the comment section. Michael O'Neill will be uh, monitoring those and uh, sending those over to Gloria. Uh, we'll also have a couple of topics that we want to make sure that we bring to Gloria. Before we get into the conversation, I want to remind you that if you are watching live, please share this link on your own Facebook page or any page that you manage. If you are listening to us on a podcast, please forward this co- podcast to people that you know and like. Hell, even the ones that you don't like forward it widely so we can build this audience, and if you have not yet done so, go to the website, agreenwayforward.org, and make sure to sign up so that you can know upcoming guest topics, et cetera. Gloria, I want to jump right in because there's a lot going on for the green part of the United States, and one of them, there, Greens are gathering to descend on Washington, D.C., April 1st through 5th for a lobby day. Tell us what that's about.
1: Yes, thanks, David. Uh, it's going, it's, it's a, an initiative uh, organized out of members of the National Women's Caucus. Jennifer Sullivan in Florida, Green Party leader there, has really been the point person. And you know, this is something new for Greens doing it nationwide. And so the there will be Greens going. Uh, they're hoping they'll eventually get uh, at least one or two Greens from every state uh, that's starting to build. There'll be some things that people can do if they can't go from their state, but it's a focus on getting money out of politics. So they're talking about public funding only. And I think it's uh, really the theme for them saying that, you know, it's we have a great platform, we have uh, awesome candidates, but there is that huge obstacle of corporate domination, of big money lobbyists in politics. Um, when it comes to elections and that the Greens want to go and speak up about that. And they're really doing a whole week of um, setting up visits to uh, their state legislatures. They're uh, having some a variety of different events. Um, there'll be something uh, at uh, Busboys and Poets uh, one evening, evening on the I think the evening of the third um uh, where people will have hear some speakers about that public funding of elections saves taxpayers money. Um, and the other thing is greens are going to be together. They're going to do a press conference on the steps of Congress. Um, they're going to have their photo taken. They're going to be uh, talking with one another. And I think this is really a wonderful initiative and not something you hear about uh, the green party doing that often.
0: And you know what I think is really worth saying so many times uh uh, the, the the criticism of the Green Party is where are you, where are you? The answer is we're actually everywhere uh, and we're doing things constantly, but the corporate media never covers it. One of the things that I think is really interesting is that you have a full week of lobbying in support of full publicly funded elections. In addition to that, there is an event at Busboys and Poets on Wednesday, April 3rd. Uh, where I know several speakers will be there to talk about how public funding of elections actually saves taxpayers money. In addition to that, there'll be a press conference and they'll be engaged in some manner with Lee Camp and redacted tonight on Thursday, the 4th. So there's really a lot going on. Absolutely. And. And I also
1: think another uh, kind of byproduct of this is it's a very well organized, uh, you know, week of events. And I think that you know we can say about uh, Jennifer and the National Women's Caucus folks that are that started this off that they're um, they really know how to get their shit done, right? And this is really important. They're really organizing. It's not just uh, and we, as we know, rallies and protests are important and greeds are often there, but. This is something that is really uh, long in planning and very organized. And I think that these skills, uh, whether Greens want to jump on board this issue or they're able to participate or not, the skills that are being employed to do this week of lobbying and networking and coming together are important skills for Greens to look out for.
0: So I'm really personally really excited, and I want to give a big shout out to Jennifer Sullen of the Green Party of Florida for actually putting this together. Uh, It seems like she's the real point person on this. Uh, So way to go, Jennifer, to actually show folks that uh, there's actually things going on at the national level where the Green Party is going. And I got to say, it does bring me to William's comment, uh, who makes a good one, I think. He says, The Green Party seems to be the garden in which Democrats come for their newest organic ideas. Let's just cut out the middleman. So thanks for that, William, because it does seem to be the Green Party platform continues to be the most cutting edge idea. And progressive Democrats seem to cherry pick. But then have you noticed they always take out the more radical transformational part of it, like with the Green New Deal?
2: Well, and also, uh, if we can just speak to this lobby day that's coming up, the the effort behind the lobby day is demanding full public funding for all elections, if I understand it correctly, which is a Green Party demand. Whereas H.R. 1, this sweeping proposal or supposedly sweeping proposal to get money out of politics is really just going to institute a matching funds program for both the federal primary and the general election for president. And it's going to massively increase the amount of money that candidates can get through public funding, through matching funds. And it's going to move the goalposts on the requirements to get matching funds, basically in an attempt to keep Greens and other grassroots parties and candidates from ever being able to access them again, since we were able to access them in 2016. And uh, I would love to know Gloria's perspective on this, especially since... HR1 passed the House of Representatives on Friday, again, being touted by liberal and progressive groups as being a great victory, people not aware that there's this poison pill provision to exclude third parties and grassroots candidates from getting matching funds ever again.
1: Yeah, thank you, Michael. And, you know, glad you mentioned HR1 because um, our Greens that will be lobbying for a fully funded uh, public fund only uh, in electoral politics are also going to be raising their voices when they meet with legislatures against H.R. 1. Because as you've already stated, the idea of, you know, moving that goalpost to basically uh, further marginalize and almost eliminate uh, independent and smaller party candidates like the Green Party and others uh, is just another attempt at the Democrats, when you know, to kind of keep their 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 faux progressive mantle on. And you know, I think that one of the problems about you know HR one, well, many many problems, right? Um, but I think you you brought it up. Is I've brought in three emails, I think, just today from those uh, liberal, kind of democratically uh, funded or
0: friendly. Well, Gloria, well, yeah, I'm going to stop you and say, just call them. Democratic Party front groups, because that's what they are. Okay, I got emails from those Democratic
1: Party front groups um, telling me how wonderful it is that we have been able to pass in the House this sweeping electoral reform bill that the Republicans were trying to squash. Um, And, you know, it's mind-boggling, really, uh, when when you think about it. But I think over and over again— what we see, and I'm, we'll talk about it, uh, you know, in the other topics coming up, is that the Democrats come up with something that will get the liberals kind of all excited and, and feel good, uh, but underneath there's this. Hidden agenda. It's actually not. I guess it is hidden, as we said, over 500 pages. Um, You know, thanks to Brooks Dixon for you know digging up about the the matching fund goalposts being moved. Thanks to uh, you, David and Michael, uh, discovering the possibility of the five percent getting a five percent in the presidential election is also going to be something that may not um, you know happen anymore if this is passed. (coughs) Excuse me. So to be (laughs) clear.
0: H.R. 1 attempts to abolish uh, the ability uh, to get those matching funds at 5%, which has, of course, been the, the holy grail of alternative party politics uh, for the last 20 years.
1: Yes, that is, that is true. It's completely, um, you know, the, the opportunity that the Stein Baraka campaign had to really work hard to get those uh, matching funds and you know, be able to run a campaign that was visible um, and robust you know, that opportunity can be gone with H.R. 1, while the Democratic front groups will be touting uh, this wonderful uh, opportunity and, you know, voter choice and electoral reform. But, of course, we know that many in the Democratic Party and the leadership, we see this in New York State and around the country, would like very much to have uh, rules and laws that will kind of squash uh, independent parties and parties like the Green Party, because we are a threat and we basically point out that they are, you know, kind of, um, kind of bullshit. Sorry. <laughs> that is- no,
0: no. <laughs> real talk, Lori Matera. In the spirit of that real talk, uh, Rick writes in with a pretty hard question that I'd like to pose to you. Rick asks, one of the criticisms of the Green Party is that they are somewhat disorganized. Can you speak to that?
1: Well, that's it. That is a big question, Rick, and uh, a legitimate question to ask. Remember, uh, on the national level, we are, um, you know, a federation of state parties. Uh, our national party is is not. Uh, there's not a hierarchy there telling people what to do around this uh, the country. So each state party has their own autonomy. They organize in the way that's best for them. Uh, many state parties are. Um, held captive by the onerous and undemocratic uh, uh, rules in terms of electoral law, which are different in every single state. Um, so, I don't know if disor- saying the Greens are disorganized um, is, a, is a sweeping uh, criticism. I think that there are instances where people say, I went to a Green Party meeting and I, I wasn't really sure what was happening. But, you know, there are, there are many barriers, there's a blackout in the corporate media. There is um, red baiting of our candidates. There's in in addition to the electoral laws. And, you know, I'd be happy to talk with you, Rick, if you are in a particular place and want a bit more information about the Green Party in in your area. But I don't think that we would like to say our party is going to disorganize the whole. And I think this lobby week is a great example of long term planning and a very organized attempt to be able to accomplish uh, what we Greens think is really important, which is getting all the money, corporate money, out of politics.
2: And if I can just (laughs) leap in, because uh, I just want to say when Greens achieve victories, like pushing a Green New Deal into the mainstream, or in New York State, for example, a ban on fracking, when a lot of the liberal groups were just calling for a moratorium, the Green Party and its candidates are actively written out of history or attempted to be erased from history by the Democratic Party-aligned uh, media infrastructure and and liberal Democratic Party front groups that a lot of grassroots progressives sort of rely on for their institutional memory. And they're not reliable. They're not trustworthy. So we have to fight tr- twice as hard, and we have to be just as organized, not only just to, to win and to achieve victories, but also to say, to point at these victories and say, this is why voting green works. This is why building the Green Party is worthwhile and necessary.
0: Thank you for that, Michael, and Gloria, for your response as well. And I'm going to take uh, the question head on, Rick, and tell you this. When you look at the structural barriers against the Green Party, and that is uh, denial for access to the ballot. By the way, did you know that it was easier after the Iraq War Uh, to get on the ballot than it is to get on the ballot in virtually any state in the United States of America for the Green Party. So just being on the ballot is the challenge. In addition to that, you have a voting system that forces voters to believe that they have to vote against the candidates that they really like or really hate instead of for the ones that they really want because of a two-party system that forces people into a Kind of lesser evilism argument. But wait, there's more. There is a media institution that continually either ignores uh, Greens or, whenever they are forced to actually talk about us, do their very best to denigrate a- and undermine us. In addition to that, we are one of the few countries in the world that has privately funded elections uh, where there is not actually an infrastructure to allow these sorts of things to happen. We are excluded from the debates. The reality is that the system is not just designed to prevent the Green Party's success. The reality is because the Green Party actually challenges power directly, this system is designed to prevent our existence. And the fact that we not only exist, but have elected thousands of people to local and county office, the fact that we have been at the forefront of bans for fracking. We have been at the forefront for pushing the Green New Deal forward. I would tell you, actually, that's a testament to not only how well organized the Green Party actually is, but how tenacious we are. Because, frankly, most people knuckle under to the Democratic Party onslaught, and we stand strong. So I'm proud to be a Green, and I'm actually proud of the success record that we've had. And I do... I do want to shift also because there's something else that's coming up that's really exciting, and that is an eco-socialism conference, Gloria, uh, that you and I and others are helping to organize. Tell us about that.
1: Well, I'm really excited about this, David. Um, it's a conference uh, organized by Greens for Greens, although it's going to be open to anyone who's uh, curious about eco-socialism, considers themselves an eco-socialist. It's going to take place in Chicago. Um on September 28th, it's going to be a full-day uh, conference, uh, conversation. We have some amazing uh, speakers that are already confirmed. Uh, uh, Jerome Scott, uh, Kali Okuno, uh, help me out if I leave out too many people. Uh, Bruce Dixon, um, Howie Hawkins has just signed on. I spoke to him today. Um, Sirin Mudalar, Richard Folks,
2: oh, oh, that's good. a big deal. Can we get a big picture here? So let's really highlight for people, like, what is this eco-socialist conference for and why should people be excited about it? Why should people make an attempt to get there? What's the big picture?
1: The big picture uh, to me is that first, we've talked a lot about the Green Party and their eco-socialist plank. Um, that we're really highlighting, we're challenging capital, we're calling ourselves anti-capitalist. But that's a conversation that really needs to continue in the party. Uh, We think that this is an opportunity for us to really kind of talk about that, how that, you know, the bigger umbrella of eco socialism connects uh, to our four pillars, how the Green New Deal fits in that. Um, And it's an opportunity to have not just Greens talking to one another, but other people who consider themselves eco socialists. I'd like to you know, acknowledge Rick Wolf in terms of his work around worker co-ops as a, as a Marx, Marxist economist. And it's an opportunity really to deepen our understanding and then to be able, I think, to translate that uh, to our candidates, in our platform, and out into, you know, the, the general public where I think people are really looking to socialism, eco-socialism as a system that's really going to uh, make a difference in whether, you know, whether we live or die on this planet.
0: So I'm going to actually take a moment to really drill down there on Gloria's last comment. I am convinced that we had a very small window that is closing even as we speak to completely transition and transform our social, political and economic institutions away from one of extraction, away from one of oppression, away from one of domination, towards one of cooperation, collaboration, kindness uh, and love. And I think that the eco-socialism is the only way forward. And the fact that the Green Party is taking that on and is willing to say, we're going to take the best of socialism and the the commitment uh, to social justice and the commitment to deep ecology and the interconnectedness uh, of life itself and merge them together into a new paradigm. This is transformational. It is truly revolutionary. Uh, And so Michael, what we're saying is we need to be comfortable normalizing as greens the call for genuine revolutionary transformation and to be concrete about it. So we'll be talking about things like participatory budgeting. We'll be talking about things like public banking. We'll be talking about things like creating and cultivating worker-owned cooperatives. Uh, And that's why having Kali Akuno from Cooperation Jackson as part of this conversation is super exciting to me.
2: Now, this is actually uh, relates to a comment that we just got. David asks, would we back Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal? And I feel like someone who attends this eco-socialist conference is going to have a really great answer to that question, which will probably involve flipping it around on its head and saying, will AOC continue to support a a real Green New Deal? And can we push all uh, legislative members to push a truly transformative green new deal of the kind that you're talking about that takes this country in an eco-socialist direction.
0: Gloria Matera, I'm going to put it to you as co-chair of the green Party of the United States. Would you back AOC's green new deal?
1: Uh, No. Um, I think that we have been pretty, um, obviously articulate about there are some good things. Uh, there are some good components in what she's brought up. Uh, but the real Green New Deal, uh, as we've talked about on this show, as we've talked about in many different ways, is the Green Party's Green New Deal, where we're talking about how we're funding this, um, you know, massive in government investment uh, in not only creating jobs, but really uh, dealing with the climate crisis, is cutting the military budget by 50%. Doing a lot of the real work, and uh, you mentioned earlier public banking, uh, having a full economic bill of rights. Our Green New Deal really covers what needs to be done in a time of crisis, and so we are hoping that Alexandria casio cortez once uh, her more kind of uh, vague, generalized resolution and plan of a Green New Deal is ignored by the Democratic Party leadership uh, that she will consider the idea that uh, she would be a great person to join us in talking about the Green Party's Green New Deal.
2: So to put it another way, it's not about AOC's Green New Deal or anyone else's Green New Deal. It's about a real Green New Deal. And we support a real Green New Deal by enhancing and, and calling to further radicalize Green New Deal um, proposals that are put forward and calling out those Green New Deals, which are neither green nor new nor a deal, as we've seen from the even further reactionary wing of the Democratic Party power structure.
0: Absolutely. That's right. And I, I really appreciate that. And I'm going to encourage everyone listening to actually get both comfortable and adept at being able to handle this question, because it's, first of all, fantastic that the very phrase Green New Deal is getting traction. What that's saying is that the Green Party, who completely uh, initiated the concept of a Green New Deal, is breaking through, notwithstanding all the structural barriers, right? But there really are three so-called Green New Deals. There's the real Green New Deal, or the Green Party's Green New Deal, which calls to completely transform economics It calls to completely restructure U.S. foreign policy away from empire uh, and completely dismantle the military industrial complex and literally democratize the economy as we address the climate crisis uh, with mitigation efforts. That's the real Green New Deal. Let's acknowledge that AOC's Green New Deal actually does a very good job of many of the climate uh, crisis mitigation efforts, but it does so without challenging capitalism. It does so without even mentioning the military and ingo- industrial complex or the empire. And it's worth pointing out the U.S. military is far and away the biggest producers of any greenhouse gases uh, on the planet. So AOC's version is good, but certainly not what is needed. And lastly, as Michael O'Neill said, the third Green New Deal is neither green nor new nor a deal. And that's what the neoliberal corporate Democrats under Nancy Pelosi and the entire National Democratic Party leadership is actually pushing. So will we support AOC's Green New Deal? We will give a tip of the hat to say, good start, but it doesn't go nearly far enough. And you can't buy, you can't buy Green Party folks off. We're calling for transforming a uh, U.S. society and ultimately transforming the world because we are straight up revolutionaries. You're here, so listen. I do want to make sure uh, that we actually acknowledge the fact that the Illinois Green Party is actually going to be co-hosting us. Uh, that we'll be in Chicago, Illinois, on September 28. So, for folks who are interested, mark your calendars now. Uh, we uh, we are in the very early stages. Uh, but I do want to give an acknowledgement to Gloria Matera, to Rich Whitney of the, uh, the Illinois Green Party, to Mel Figueroa. Uh, she is with the Green Party of California. Uh, also, Anita Rios, uh, myself, Margaret Kimberly of Black Agenda Report as the, convener, the co-conveners of, of this effort. And a real acknowledgement and thank you to the Illinois Green Party as well.
1: Yeah, we really appreciate that. It's really exciting to hear that they um, are co-sponsoring this. We really, um, it's going to be a great event and there'll be information rolling out about this. I'm sure David, uh, Michael will be bringing the show and we'll be putting it out there in Green Party uh, channels also.
2: So let me just get that date one more time so I can drop it into the comments so people can mark their calendars. You said September 28th?
0: September 28th. September 28th in Chicago, Illinois. And while Michael O'Neill drops that into the comments, and while the rest of you hopefully put that into your own calendars as one of the movement spaces uh, that you attend, I want to ask you another uh, hard question that came through the comment section, Gloria. Ethan writes in to ask, can the Green Party of the United States trademark GNN or Green News Network so that the group who is currently using it doesn't keep giving us a bad name? Is there some legal method? Uh it, Ethan says, I'm not a lawyer, of course, but and green is widely used for environmentalism. So maybe it's not possible, but there's got to be a way. And I will say, I frequently get contacted by folks uh, that this, this so-called GNN is really taking some pretty reactionary positions. Gloria, what is the Green Party doing about that and what can be done?
1: Well, uh, the Green Party, of course, is unhappy about about this. Um, I don't think there really is much we can do about it. I cannot necessarily trademark that. I mean, if we can if we can do that, then we would only be one Green New Deal, and we wouldn't have <laughs> to worry about um, what AOC says and you know Nancy Pelosi says. But uh, you know, I hear you on that um, because it you know it is a cause for concern. I mean. I don't know. I, I always feel like, why are people like, can you just unlike that page? Just, um, you know, I don't know. Some people like to engage in that dialogue, but I want to say is building more robust, um, true Green Party, uh, official Green Party networks is a way to counter that, um, to make sure that you're signing up for Green Party lists, uh, and websites in your in your local in your state uh, you know gp uh, org for our national party uh, getting on you know listening to this show and getting this show uh, on your Monday night schedule I mean I think it's it is um, a problem but I really don't think that the National party can address it really in any legal way I, I could defer to um, a lawyer on the in the group here, but... Um,
0: well, I mean, I, I, you you answered it correctly. Unfortunately, there's really no way to actually do that. Uh, I, I really wish there was, but there's not. Uh, we've got time for one more comment or question. So let's pull out, let's see, Amir asks, what is the Green Party's position on tax avoidance?
1: You know, so talking about tax avoidance in the way, let's say the War Resisters League has made that... Um, a signature of theirs, which is, um, you know, tax resistors, I would call them. Um, You know, I don't know if there's an official position in the National Party platform around that. I would say that uh, when uh, we are fighting in the revolution, that I think any means to uh, continue that battle is important. I admire the War Resistance League. In fact, you know, a, a very uh, close member of that uh, to, is a friend of mine and a neighbor. He's been doing it for many years. Um, and it's, you know, often a, a dicey experience for him. But I don't think that, um, or I have to take a look, so I'm gonna be honest in terms of the, the party's position. But, you know, that is a form of resistance. This show is a form of resistance the conference in September 28th in Chicago is a form of resistance. Every time a green party candidate gets on the ballot, uh, against all odds, um, and you know, gets votes, uh, the, every time a, a green party organizer is out for black lives matter for immigrant rights, uh Those are all forms of resistance, and I think that we have to continue to build that resistance in every single way that we can because we know that the duopoly, that uh, the empire is ready to crush us, but uh, we are bigger than they are in terms of numbers. And so I'm happy to have that opportunity to talk about resistance in general by, by that question you brought up.
0: Well, Well, thank you, Gloria Matera, for that. Uh, I am in complete agreement with you. I'll be candid. I don't know if the National Green Party's platform specifically supports uh, war tax resistance, but I do as an individual. Uh, I am not a war tax resister, but I completely respect, applaud, and thank anybody with the courage uh, to avoid paying taxes to support war.
2: This is a teachable moment for me. So is the term tax avoidance, is that specific to avoiding paying taxes as a form of civil disobedience as opposed to tax evasion where you've got corporate behemoths like Google and Amazon warehousing money in offshore accounts and in, in countries where they have tax havens just to avoid paying their fair share for what we need as a you know as a society. Yeah.
0: So Michael, I will as a lawyer I'll just jump in and say I, your your clarifying question is a good one. Uh, it is very clear that both Gloria and I interpreted that question uh, to be about uh, war tax resistance and specifically the refusal to pay taxes in support of war as a very principled position. Now, the, the phrase tax avoidance uh, typically means uh, arranging your financial affairs to minimize tax liability within the law. Uh, it, there is, And that is distinct from tax evasion, where you uh, are violating the law uh, to pay taxes. But Gloria and I aren't talking about either one of those, neither tax evasion or tax avoidance. We discussed war tax resistance, which is absolutely different. So I guess we would actually need Amir to clarify, did he mean tax avoidance, tax evasion, or war tax resistance? So Gloria and I came at it on our uh, long history uh, as social change agents and just translated into my head anyway, war tax resistance.
1: Absolutely. that That is how I interpreted it. So we, you know, feel free, Amir, to, you know, clarify that uh, we can, you know, if we can't cover that now, as time is winding down, we certainly can respond to you later dates
0: and that does let me know that looking at the clock i've got to ask you glory matera for any final comments or thoughts uh
1: well i you know want to again remind people about uh you know look out for this uh eco socialist con- uh, conference for greens Um, And others, uh, September 28th in Chicago, uh, there's another opportunity for Greens to come together, uh, and that's at our annual meeting, uh, which will be July 23rd through 25th uh, in Salem, Massachusetts. Um, The way to get plugged in, uh, gp.org, and you can sign up for updates uh, and see what's happening. I encourage everyone to make sure if there's a Green Party in your state, that you also sign up at their websites because there's a lot going on, folks, and this is the way uh, to stay plugged in and you'll see the Green Party, you know, growing and moving and in D.C. and in Chicago and in every other place um, that you can look.
0: Michael O'Neill, any final thoughts?
2: I just want to thank everyone for tuning in and for sharing the live stream, sharing our podcast at agreenwayforward.org and that this video will be available for reviewing on the Dr. Jill Stein Facebook page. And of course, the audio will be available for download at agreenwayforward.org. And remember
0: this, folks, the Green Party is getting larger, stronger, and better organized every election cycle. The resistance is growing. The Green Party aspires to be the electoral arm of that resistance. And it is up to you to continue to build the movement for peace Justice, democracy, and ecology. Thanks for watching. Peace.
2: A Green Way Forward is broadcast live on Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time from Dr. Jill Stein's Facebook page. Subscribe to our podcast and e newsletter at Agreenwayforward.org to make sure that you never miss an episode. You can also find us and rate us on iTunes with more podcast platforms being added each week. Our theme music is Retro Future Dirty by Kevin MacLeod, whose fine music can be found at InComptech.com and is available for use under a Creative Commons attribution license. This is Michael O'Neill for David Cobb reminding you to please spread the word about A Greenway Forward and to send us your thoughtful questions and comments to agreenwayforward at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.